welcome. You're listening to a sermon podcast from Oak Hills Church in Folsom, California. I don't know about you, but I've been having a hard time um, believing that it's September already. We entered into COVID at the beginning of September, um, the beginning of spring, sorry, and now it's the beginning of the fall. So we've had six months of masks and no hugging and worship online. We've had six months of of looking into the camera and me trying to picture all of you out there worshiping with me. So on behalf of the staff and the elders, I just want to thank you all for hanging in there with us and continuing to be the church to one another during these extraordinary times. We truly love and appreciate each of you. Now, I'd like to sneak in an announcement before I begin uh, this message today, and it's something I'm kind of excited about. We realize that one of the things that people are craving so much is the community and intimacy of the church. And so we've decided that beginning next week, we're going to try a little experiment. We're going to begin meeting in our courtyard on Sunday morning. We think we figured out a way to fit us all into that space while maintaining social distancing. And I think it's going to be pretty great. Um, Imagine yourself sitting under a tree, feeling the breeze, perhaps watching your kids coloring at a picnic table, and gathering in a more intimate venue with one another to worship God. I am so looking forward to that, and I hope you are too. So I encourage you to get online um, sometime this week and register for our courtyard services that will be beginning next Sunday. I think it'll be a blast. Also, before I I start this message, I just want to sneak in a shout-out to my daughter, Paige, who's watching from Charlotte, North Carolina. Um, Love you, honey. Miss you. As most of you know, um, through the month of September, we're in a series looking at the book of Jonah, and we titled this series, The God Who Misbehaves. Now, I love this title because it's not just about who God is, but it says something about who we are and what we think about God, right? We have all of these kind of certain misconceptions about who God is and how he should act, but God doesn't always behave the way we think he should, does he? He doesn't behave according to our human agendas or preconceptions or politics. And when we try to make him bend according to our will, He will definitely look to us like he's misbehaving. But the truth of the matter is, it's really us, right? In our self-centered selves, who are the ones who are misbehaving? But I'm getting ahead of myself. If you were here last uh, Sunday or you uh, live-streamed the service, you listened to the Honorable Dr. Lucan do an extremely good job of unpacking the first chapter of Jonah. In fact, I thought, personally, it was a stellar message profound and challenging and enlightening. And I do encourage you to go listen to it. Or if you've heard it already, go back and listen to it again. I guarantee you're going to get something more out of it. Today I'm going to attempt to build on the teaching from last Sunday. And as we continue to tell the story, we will talk more about Jonah and who he is. And hopefully I can offer a challenge to you today too. Because here's the thing. I'm convinced that if we really pay attention to the story of Jonah and see ourselves in it, in other words, see ourselves in the belly of the fish, as it were, 
God will disrupt and dismantle and even shatter some of your wrong perceptions of him. So you can then see him more and more as the almighty and unfathomable and grace-filled God that he is. So please give your attention to the word of God from Jonah chapter 2. And if you have an app or a Bible, you can um, go to the NIV version of that. I will read it from here. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again towards your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down, and earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. And then the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. This is the word of the Lord. As I said, Pastor Mike did a noteworthy job of introducing and kind of unpacking chapter one last week. And he gave a lot of um, background information on the person of Jonah and the Ninevite people and about the book itself. So I won't attempt to go into a lot of detail on that stuff. In addition, this story is well known by many of us, right? Or at least we think we know it. I was talking to a few friends about Jonah this week and they mentioned to me that whenever they think of Jonah, they think of Veggie Tales. And I think that's the point. We have a simplistic flannel graph understanding of a man who is actually quite complex and nuanced. So right up front, I'd like to point out a few things that I think we all get wrong about the book of Jonah. For example, a lot of people will focus on this outlandish idea of a man being swallowed by a fish. I mean, come on. Did Jonah really get swallowed by a fish? Or is this simply an allegory? You know, one of Aesop's fables, for example. Or even worse than that, is this simply a fairy tale? And because they can't get past that one thing, they will discount the entirety of Jonah as a book of the Bible, as a book of truth. And that's a shame. Because there's so much truth that exists in this story. Now, personally, I believe that our almighty and omnipotent God is totally capable of creating a fish big enough to swallow a man. And I believe he can and did send that fish to Jonah. But I also understand that there are many of you who may be a little bit more skeptical, and that's okay. But if you get fixated on arguing about things like this, you're going to miss the greater truths. Here's one truth. Sometimes in order for us to be saved, we need to spend some time deep in the belly of a fish. 
Sometimes being saved means going into the deepest, darkest places, not only physically, but psychologically and emotionally as well. I think that's a pretty deep truth that exists in this book. The second thing I'd like to point out is that we have a tendency to think that Jonah is this really bad guy. I mean, he's disobedient, and he's stubborn, and he tries to run away from God, right? So we picture him as this excuse-making, kind of cowardly, selfish man. But I think it's more complex than that. Jonah was a man of God. He was a prophet. He was chosen by God specifically to deliver his message of salvation. Jonah's attitude toward the Ninevites was quite like most Jews of that day. Nineveh was the capital of Assyria. And the Assyrians were these violent, malevolent oppressors and enemies of the nation Israel. God asked Jonah to preach repentance and salvation to these terrible, terrible people, these hated Ninevites. So Jonah's attitude was actually understandable, even justified at some level. But let me go one step further. Jonah wasn't just like most Jews of that day. I think Jonah may be very much like you and me today. So let me make this present and personal. Let's say that you got a very clear message from God telling you to buy a plane ticket and fly over to Syria and preach the gospel to ISIS. Go ahead, just rent a Jeep, drive over to the ISIS headquarters, march in there, and then tell them that God loves them. Tell them that you love them. Now, if God told you that, would you do it? Be honest now. Me, I'd be hiding under my bed. To be called to love our enemies is not an easy endeavor. But that's the will of God, isn't it? So allow me to stir the pot even more for just a moment. If you consider yourself a conservative, Republican, Christ follower, let me ask you this question. Do you love Hillary Clinton? Because God does. If you consider yourself a liberal, Democrat, Christ follower, let me ask you this. Do you love Donald Trump? Because God does. God calls us as Christ followers to love the hardcore atheists and people who are LGBTQ plus and illegal immigrants and Muslim extremists and even the Las Vegas Raiders. God calls us to love people who don't look like us and people who don't speak the way that we do and people who believe differently than we do and people who live differently than us. But we just keep running away. Why do we as Christians just keep running away? In moments of uh, clarity and self-awareness, I admit that this is hard for me. I fail to show God's love to people every single day. And maybe you do too. So I don't believe that Jonah was a bad man. I believe he was a good man, a just man. I believe that Jonah is a lot like you and me. But Jonah, just like you and me, still needs to be spiritually formed. And spiritual formation requires continual self-examination, continual confession, continual repentance. Let me say that again. 
Spiritual formation requires continual repentance. In our feeble attempts to follow Jesus, we graciously are saved again and again and again. So here's the, here's the crux of it. Jesus can, uh, Jonah should say, Jonah can at once be a good and just man and a terribly flawed and self-centered man. He can be both a man who is transformed and a man who is in desperate need of the transformative work of God. Just like you and me. The third thing I'd like to point out that we kind of get wrong about Jonah is that the story isn't primarily about Jonah's disobedience. You see here at Oak Hills, we aren't just about behavior modification. Becoming a Christ follower is more than just avoiding sin. It's be about becoming a different kind of person. So we always need to ask the root question, the why question. Yes, Jonah's dis Jonah disobeyed, but why did Jonah disobey? Because God didn't act in a way that Jonah wanted him to act. In Jonah's eyes, God misbehaved. In other words, Jonah's disobedience was motivated by his unwillingness to align his heart to God's heart, his motivations to God's motivations. Jonah wanted God to punish the Ninevites, this city of hostile and heathen sinners. But God is not only a God of justice, he's God of grace. God's will was not only to purvey justice upon Nineveh and Nineveh, but also to extend grace to those who repented. So Jonah's disobedience begins and is rooted in the fact that God does not think or act like Jonah. And that ticks Jonah off. Once again, we're, we're much more like Jonah than we think we are. How many times have we expected God to move according to our agendas rather than ours to his. How often do we ask for God to bless our wills instead of to seek his will? How often do we attach God to our worldviews, our politics, our pride? This story doesn't turn on the disobedience of Jonah. This story turns on the truth that God's ways are not our ways, nor are God's thoughts our thoughts. This story is a reminder that God can and will do what he pleases for his glory and ultimately for our good. And so we need to understand that maturity in Christ is marked by greater and greater humility, greater and greater teachability, greater and greater self-awareness of our own stuff, and greater and greater awe at the person of God. So as I said, Pastor Mike covered uh, the intro in chapter one last week, and we are going to be covering chapter two this week. So I want to talk specifically about chapter two. And there is more here than meets the eye as well. So let me just recap for those who didn't see last week. At this point in the story, Joseph rebuffs God's calling to him to preach to the Ninevites, and he flees. But God gets a hold of him in the farthest waters of the Mediterranean Sea. He is tossed overboard and sinks into the pounding waters. And then he, in the midst of him being drowned, is rescued by being swallowed by a great fish, which was sent by God. In the bowels of that great animal, Jonah con contemplates his life. And then he offers a prayer unto God. And that's what chapter 2 is. Now, verses 2 through 9 are actually a psalm. Not one of the psalms, but a psalm. 
a psalm of worship and thanksgiving and deliverance. It's a beautiful, heartfelt poem, one brimming with poetic devices like parallelism and stanza and wordplay. And personally, I, I love this, right? Jonah responds to God's salvation essentially by writing a song. So this is something that I can really relate to. I'm going to read from verse 2. In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. Notice here that there is this acknowledgement from Jonah that the Lord God is there in the midst of his trouble. And Jonah acknowledges that God has heard him and has saved him from certain drowning. Continuing on in verse 4, I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. There's a sense here in this, in this verse that Jonah has stopped running finally. And he's turning his back, or turning back towards God. Continuing on in verse 5, The engulfing waters threatened me, the deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. That's got to hurt. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. Not only is Jonah in the belly of the fish, that fish takes him to the roots of the mountains. In other words, the mountains which are under the water the mountains of the seafloor. There is no lower than he can go. In the depths of his despair, Jonah cries to God, and there he experiences God's mercy. Jonah has just experienced this miraculous rescue, and even though he's still trapped in this fish, see, to, to Jonah, the fish was Jonah's good news. So even though he is trapped, even though he doesn't understand God's motives, Jonah is now at the point where he will do God's will. And I just want to quickly revisit this idea that sometimes we need to be thrown into the deepest, darkest pit in order for us to finally choose light, to choose to follow God. Think about the fact that Jonah is thanking God for being swallowed by a fish, because that was better than being drowned in these deep waters. Um, what in the Hebrew, the word actually um, implies chaotic waters. Sometimes in order for us to be saved from our sin, we need to spend some time in the belly of a fish. And back to verse 2, it says, from deep in the realm of the dead. And that can be interpreted uh, from the Hebrew to say the womb of Sheol, or figuratively the womb of the dead. It, it, he is poetically tying his position in the bowels of the great fish to being spiritually on the brink of death. Continuing on, uh, reading uh, verse 7. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. Now there are two things I want to point out in this little section. In verse 8, Jonah talks about worthless idols. And it reveals actually that Jonah is not completely self-aware, as shown later in chapter 4. 
part of Jonah's problem, as we stated earlier, was that Jonah disapproved of God showing compassion to the Ninevites. To put it another way, the actual God of the universe was not acting in the way that Jonah's God was supposed to act. So in a sense, Jonah had his own idol, and that idol was his misconceptions of God. Jonah was still clinging to a worthless idol, which was the God that he wanted to exist, instead of worship the God who actually exists. He wanted God in his own image, not the other way around. I remember um, being a teenager and thinking to myself, I'm pretty good at math. I know math. And then I took calculus. And it was a humbling experience. I realized that my understanding of math was really quite superficial and that there was so much more to it, so much more to learn. I think this is the way that we are with many things, including God. And the irony is when we are adamant about the fact that we know a thing, when we're closed off to it, we close ourselves off to the very thing that we think we know. If I am stubborn about thinking how much I know about math, I will never understand calculus because I haven't made myself teachable. If I think that I know all there is to know about the ocean, I close the door to the depth and the magnitude and the mystery of all that there is in the ocean. And if I think I know God, if I think I have God figured out, then I close the door to the depth and the magnitude of God's will, his ways, and his love. Make no mistake, as Christ followers, we know God, but God is unfathomable. He's beyond our understanding. He cannot be explained with a simple formula or be put in a box. This is what it is to cling to worthless idols. Finally, verse 10. And the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. The final thing I want to point out today is the tie-in to Jesus. Remember where there were some Pharisees and teachers of the law and they were debating and arguing with Jesus and they cannot get beyond their unbelief. So they ask him for a sign. So Jesus refers to the sign of Jonah as a prediction of his own death and resurrection. This is uh, located in Matthew chapter 12. As we stated in the Apostles' Creed, he was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into Hades, and on the third day he rose again. So the sign of Jonah is the third day of Jonah being in the fish. There are so many parallels here, but I'm just going to mention one of them. Just as Jonah describes it as being in the womb of Sheol, or the womb of the dead, so Jesus comes back from the dead to life. He prophesied his own resurrection. And then Jesus was sharing this, one of the mysteries of the ages to the Pharisees, and the Pharisees completely missed the truth that is standing right in front of them, because their conception of God was too small. They didn't recognize the Son of God because their misconceptions of God were so narrow and fixed and unmoving. So, quick tip here. Don't be like the Pharisees. Well, as I said, chapter 2 is a psalm of Jonah, a psalm of deliverance. 
And rather than talk more about it, I thought it would be appropriate if we took some time to allow the psalm of Jonah to guide us in a time of worship and prayer and confession. So I'd like to ask Jordan and the worship team to come up. And uh, if you're watching this, whether you're watching this live stream or you're, you're, you're playing this back later, I just want you to take a moment right now in the comfort of your home to put away the distractions if you can and join us in the period of worship together. You can assume a comfortable posture of openness to the Spirit of God. You can sit, relax, um, possibly open your hands up to the Lord and you can um, do that now. Also, um, you might want to have the Oak Hills app handy. There's a liturgy in the notes that we will be following in our guided worship here. Now, confession and repentance isn't something we often do in our worship, but it is indeed an important aspect of worship. As I mentioned before, repenting is not a one-time deal. Repenting is not just what sinners do, it's also what saints do. For we all need grace. So, I would like to take some time right now in the quietness of your heart to consider these things that you need to confess and repent from and be delivered from. Those things that you need to lay bare and place upon the altar. Take a moment right now. Is there a secret sin that you're harboring that you need to confess? Is there an addiction that you've been justifying that you know you need to let go of? There's something there that you just know that you don't want in your life anymore. So just place your hands out like that and give that to God right now. Is there bitterness or anger that you've been holding against another person or people that you need to admit to a co-worker or a neighbor or a spouse or a family member or a group of people or a political party are you holding a grudge are you not loving your enemy you to place your hands out there and just give that to God right now. Are you guilty of trying to make God bend to your will, your agenda, your politics, your predispositions? Just like Jonah, have you made God too small? Well, place your hands out and give that to God right now. Have you sought to hurt your enemy instead of love them? Have you been hostile or mean on Facebook or in your household or at your place of business? Have you not shared God's love with others? Place your hands out and give that to God now.
there's any other business that you need to do with God right now, just do that. And then place your hands out and give it to God. Lord God, precious Redeemer, we come before you as flawed people, seeking comfort, seeking forgiveness, seeking grace. For we have run away from you when you called us. We have made you too small and justified our selfishness. We have clung to false idols. Like Jonah, we find ourselves in need of a gracious God. We are sorry, and we ask for your forgiveness. So Lord, hear our cry of repentance, our need for mercy, our desire to follow you with all that we are. Thank you that you hear our prayers. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to acknowledge that placing your hands out like we did and giving to God those areas of repentance is not an easy thing. It is indeed a courageous thing, a good thing, a godly thing. And now it must be a thing that you should act on. In your Oak Hills app, there's a guided prayer. Please take that out now and let's pray the Psalm of Jonah. In my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. Deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas. And the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight. Yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord, Lord my God, God, brought my life up from the pit. Oh, oh, oh. 
Receiving the Spirit is tainted with selfishness. I need to repent of my repentance. I need my tears to be washed. I have no robe to bring to cover my sins, no loom to weave my own righteousness. I am always standing clothed in filthy garments, and by grace am always receiving new clothes. For you always justify the ungodly. I am always going into the far country and always returning home a prodigal, always saying, Father, forgive me, and you are always bringing your best robe. Every morning, let me wear it. Every evening, return to it. Go out to the day's work in it. Be married in it. Be wound in death in it. Stand before the great white throne in it. Enter heaven in it, shining as the sun. Grant me never to lose sight of the exceeding sinfulness of sin, the exceeding righteousness of salvation, the exceeding glory of Christ, the exceeding beauty of holiness, the exceeding wonder of your grace. Amen. 
Now let's continue with the Psalm of Jonah, part two. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord. Salvation comes from the Lord. And my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Salvation comes from the Lord. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. Salvation comes from the Lord. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. Salvation comes from the Lord. What I have vowed, I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. Salvation comes from the Lord.